The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. Off to the cottage. A place Warren hasn't been in roughly 15 years. Why? What happened that he stayed away so long? Meanwhile, Devin is taken into eating pussy. Cats and puppy dogs. Naughty of you to think I meant something else. (laughs) But it seems now he has gotten the attention of the whole Montgomery Police Department. What to do, what to do. I guess Warren is right. It's good to be wanted. And speaking of being wanted. Oh wait, you don't know about that yet. I guess I'll ask that question later. Now. Light some candles, turn off the lights, cuddle with your favorite pussy, cat, under a cozy blanket. Easy kitty, watch those claws, nice kitty. As we grab our tentacles and slither into chapter four, the manhunt begins! The cottage stood looking over the hills that ran down into the devil's pool also known as Sims Divide. The name had been changed because the residents felt it conjured up images of unwanted, superstitious monsters. The cottage itself had become overgrown with holly, vines, and other various brush, and Warren felt a little guilty seeing the state it was in. He had kept promising himself over the last 15 years he would come up here and take care of the place, but he let his work become an excuse. I wonder if the cemetery's this bad, Jake questioned as he turned into a branch-covered driveway. Only one way to find out, Warren remarked, as the vehicle slowed in front of the cottage. He hopped out of the vehicle and started down the stone pavers leading to the oak door. As he neared the entrance, he noticed some dry blood on one of the large slates. Taking a sample and some pictures, he looked up. Unlike the windows and a chunk of the roof, the door wasn't covered. Could the chief and Jay be right? Has Devin been using the cottage as a hideout? He put his hand on the large doorknob and began to turn it, locked. And unless Devin had a magic key, he turned back and began to head to the cemetery to meet Jay when he heard the latch of the door unlock and the door slowly push open. What the? The smell of dust, rosemary, and licorice poured out of the opening and filled his nostrils, almost as if it was beckoning for him to come in. Was someone here after all? He thought to himself. Hello? He pushed his way through and tried the light switch. Nothing. Seeing an old hurricane lantern, he took out his lighter and lit the wick. The light drove away the shadows like a knife illuminating the old wood stove, his grandfather's rocking chair, a pair of bookshelves with several leather-bound books, and a small 4x4 table. It was covered with several notes and letters. One of them was addressed to him. At that moment, Jay popped in. Hey Warren, did you find anything? He placed the note in his trench coat and started to head into the small kitchen. Nothing that makes me think Devin was living here. Did you see the blood outside? Yeah, I took a sample and snapped a few pictures. This place has a strange vibe. It's almost overwhelming. Jay started his way towards the two bedrooms and stopped. I keep getting the sensation, he said to Warren, like it's alive somehow. Yet there's a warm, welcoming presence. I feel it too, he said as he put his hand to his head and seemingly swooned. 
Warren, you okay? Yeah, I got dizzy for a second. Warren. He turned and looked around. He could swear a man wearing a brown cloak was sitting in his grandfather's rocking chair with an angry-looking crow on his shoulder. But as he went to turn towards him, he vanished like a vapor. Did you see that? He began when suddenly he heard the radio squawking outside. 23 Squad, on the air, call back! Sounds like we're being summoned, Jay interjected. Warren continued to stare at the rocker as it moved slowly back and forth, then as if breaking out of a trance. That sounds like Riggs. He looked at his watch. Shouldn't he be off duty by now? Jay shrugged his shoulders and they made their way back to the Crown Victoria. 23 Squad on the air, call back! Again, Riggs called out over the radio. Warren picked up the radio. Detective Stevens, go. You're not going to believe this, but I just got a call from 88 Bethel Road about a moth eating some kid's cat. The two men looked at each other. Riggs was known for his quirky sense of humor, but even this was too dark. Dispatch, repeat. I'm not playing, fellas. Copy, Dispatch. We're on our way. Warren hadn't even finished responding when Jay had already punched the gas and the Crown Victoria's tires dug in as he spun around onto the road. What was that address again? Jay asked. 88 Bethel, just off the woods. Isn't that on the flip side of where Devin disappeared? You don't think? Jay frowned and gripped the wheel tighter. Bethel was one of the many new developments that had popped up in Montgomery over the last few years. Warren pulled out his cell and started dialing. Hello? Hey, Karen. Just checking in. What's your nine? Can we use human speak, Warren? I need to know where you're currently at. I'm at the office. My last appointment is until six. Copy. I mean, okay. Why? What's up, Warren? Prowler on Bethel. Jay and I are on our way to the site now. Copy, Officer Warren, she teased. I'll use caution. You better. He hung up as Jay swung the car onto Bethel. A woman, mid-thirties, wearing a blue patterned dress with long black hair was waving them down. In front of her were two girls about seven, both crying their eyes out. Slowing and pulling the car over, they stopped directly in front of them. Warren climbed out first, placing the fedora neatly on his head, his trench coat swishing behind him as he walked. Jay laughed a little and followed. He appreciated the gumshoe look, but he was much happier in his gray suit, white pressed shirt, and black tie. Hey girls, I'm Detective Stevens. This is my partner, Detective Moran. I understand you both had a fright? Both girls nodded, and Warren sat down between them on the sidewalk. Andrea, meanwhile, approached Detective Moran. Hi, I'm Andrea Mitchell. Miss Mitchell, Detective Moran, what can you tell me? She described the man she saw looming over Lily in the backyard. His skin greenish, his clothes tattered to the point of rags, his face was tight, Almost a skull with flesh. His teeth were yellow, black, and his eyes? They seemed to be covered with a white film. Were there any identifying marks? Rings? Jewelry? Lily overheard the question and piped in. He had a ring, like an octopus. An octopus? Yeah, but it only had two of those, um... Mom, what do you call an octopus's arms? Tentacles, honey. It was two tentacles. Wrapped around a blue stone. Warren looked up and over at Jay. Don't you have a picture of Devin on that phone of yours? Yeah. He dug the phone out of his pocket, and using the magnifier, he expanded the picture so that it was nearly a blur. But on his right hand, it was clear he was wearing the same ring the girls had just described. 
Did it look like this? Jay asked Lily. Yep. Jay looked at Warren as he got back to his feet. Girls, can you show me the direction this monster went? The girls got back on their feet, took his hand, led him through the house and into the backyard. Andrea gave Jay an inquisitive look. He has such a charming effect, doesn't he? Yeah, it's weird, but... He was going to say a snarky remark, and then he remembered that Andrea was virtually a stranger. But I wouldn't want anyone else for a partner, he completed his thought. He and Andrea followed and entered into the yard. Warren was now on his knees, making sure he was at the height of both girls as he spoke to them. So, what direction did the monster go? They pointed into the heart of the woods. From here, the woods ran back towards the cul-de-sac where the winter residents sat, and then towards Bloody Run Creek, and then up towards Sims Divide and the old cemetery. What do you think? Jay asked Warren, as they both looked thoughtfully into the woods. We have way too much ground to cover. We're going to need a search party, Warren replied. I'll get the chief on the phone, Jay said as he walked away and started dialing. The girls tearfully asked Warren about their pets and what he was going to do about the monster. I can't bring your pets back, girls. I'm sorry, but I will catch this monster and I'll make him pay for hurting them and making you cry. Then looking up at Andrea, I'll need you to escort Miss Renee back home and make sure she's secure with her parents. Once you've done that, make sure all your windows and doors are secure. I'll be notifying the neighborhood of the threat to their security in the next hour. That bad? Andrea questioned. That bad, Warren confirmed. He's a madman and suspected in a couple homicides. Jay returned, hanging up the cell phone as he did so. The chief's coming down here with a search party. It seems he wants to lead this one himself, Jay said. The chief? Warren inquired. Yep, he really wants that son of a bitch, Jay confirmed. Honestly, I don't think he's ever gotten used to sitting behind that desk. I guess we should wait for him here. Nope. As soon as Squad 7 arrives, he wants us to head to the sanatorium and see if we can find out anything else. Shouldn't a social worker handle that? It appears that skill, charm, or whatever it is you have had its usual effect. She's asking for you. Oh, great, Warren responded. (laughs) Nice to be popular, huh? About ten minutes passed and Squad 7 pulled down Bethel with its lights flashing. As it pulled up, they knew immediately that it was Henry Bell by his cropped red hair. He lowered the window and gave the two detectives the stink eye. I should have known if there's trouble, I'd find the two of you in the thick of it, Bell teased. Blame him, Jay replied. Yeah, me and my charming personality, Warren nodded. The passenger door opened and another officer climbed out. Harris Cooper, young, 25, with slick black hair and green eyes. Jay and Warren explained the situation to the two officers who immediately used their cruiser to block off the street. We'll lock things down and get everything coordinated with the chief. You two go ahead, Bell said. Thanks, Bell. Hey, Coop, keep him in line, will ya? Cooper just nodded. Man of a thousand words, Bell noted. As they pulled away, several more cars arrived on scene. It wouldn't be long before the manhunt began. The sanatorium was one of the last of its kind. The sweeping changes of the 1980s had closed most facilities, and this one was scheduled to close by the end of next year. It sat back against the city, almost in a park-like setting. Old pine trees lined the path, giving it a European palace feel. But here, only the lost ruled. As they walked up and under the pines and towards the two-story mansion, 
Warren slowed. A man sat looking over the fields. He was wearing a brown cloak and a crow sat on his shoulder. He slowed as he neared the man who stared at him with unrelenting amicet eyes. Who? But it was clear Jay didn't see him. I must be more tired than I thought, he mumbled. Did you say something? Jay asked. No, let's get this over with. I hate coming to this place. Security checked them in, and they were immediately greeted by a young doctor. Hello, detectives. I'm Dr. Julia Stein. Evening, doctor. We were told you wanted to see us, Warren asked, and then corrected himself. Uh, I mean, me in particular. I'm Detective Stevens. Ah, uh, yes. Good, she responded. Before you see Casey, I have some questions of my own. Do you have time? She opened the office door and waved the two men in. Turning on the light, she pointed to a couple of chairs and asked them to sit. And she pulled out the gold nameplate that Casey had been holding when they found her. Can you gentlemen tell me how you came across this? She was holding it when we found her. The doctor looked at the two of them with a deeply troubled look. That nameplate belongs to one of our most curious guests. Or should I say, did. Oh? Almost 30 years ago, we found a girl wandering the hills near the city of Rift. She was naked and had several scars on her body, and she was holding this. Both men simultaneously leaned forward. Do you think that belongs to her? Jay asked. We've never been sure. She had no parents, no history. She looked as if she had been torn to pieces and put back together. The only clue we had was that necklace. What happened to her? We were hoping you might know. She disappeared a year ago with that necklace. We have no idea how she got out. I remember something about that, Jay added. It was about a year before you were made detective. The trail went cold. We believe that necklace may have belonged to a missing girl from Rift that worked at a flower shop. That shop had been destroyed in an act of arson and we never did find anything out. However, the description of the missing girl didn't match the one that you found. No, not even close. Although there was some similarities with the hair and eyes. I wonder if they could have been sisters. Warren looked at the necklace. Why would Devin have it? And how does it relate to this case? Anyway, you were here to speak to Casey, not look into an old unexplained case. Come on, I'll bring you to her. They headed out of the office door and down the white sanitized walls and through a pair of locked security doors. Ah, it took four episodes, but it seems we have our first cliffhanger of the series as Warren and Jay visit Casey at the sanitarium. Meanwhile, Devin heads home, and we're left to wondering who is the man in the brown cloak, and what does that nameplate have to do with this case? I guess we'll find out next Tentacle Tuesday with Chapter 5, The Death of Devin Winters. Wait. Really? Isn't that an obvious title? Fine, fine. You're the moron, I mean, writer. Toodles! <laughs>